Okay, we are in, in our studies, as we go through, we are in the fifth chapter of Second Kings. The fifth chapter of Second Kings, dealing with a well-known story uh, concerning uh, a captain of the army of Syria named Naaman. Naaman. A strange change of gears here, if you want to look at it. A tremendously strange change of gears in that Elisha dealt with the, the nation of Israel. And normally a prophet would be dealing with the nation of Israel. And then God switches gears at this point, And uh, he brings up this man, Naaman, who was a Gentile captain uh, of the Syrian army. And this is what it reads. Chapter 5 and verse number 1, 2 Kings. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, our Syria, was a great man. When it says great man, it means he was a wealthy man. He was an extremely well-to-do man. He had about everything he ever wanted or desired. Uh, and was great uh, was a great man with his master, that is the king himself, which is Ben-Hadad at this particular point. He was great with Ben-Hadad and highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Strange way to stop, isn't it? The basest and lowest of all slaves in Syria would not change places with Naaman. The Bible says that he had wealth beyond imagination. We're going to find out just how wealthy he really was. And yet he was a leper. A leper was a death sentence. There was no question about it. You were destined to die. We go on. Verse number 2. Now the Arameans... Are the Syrians had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. And so we have introduced into this uh, story a great man, Naaman, would have been very notable. I'm sure that if there would have been a CNN news service at that time, you would have heard about Naaman. He was a mover and shaker in the world at that particular time. And then you have this slave girl. This girl who was taken. Now, there were, there were raid parties that had gone out from Syria. You remember what had happened. Uh, if you go back, you have King Ahab, who strangely enough had tremendous success because of God of heaven against Syria. You remember that the, the king of Syria sent a mandate to Ahab and told him that he was going to come and he was going to take this and this and this from him. And Ahab basically just rolled over and said, well, then just take it. Why? Because Ahab was a man with no faith. Absolutely no faith in the living God. And if you go back to, to, to chapter 20 real quick, you'll read about what had actually transpired there. Um, 
It says um, uh, that the prophet came and approached. This is verse 13 of chapter 20. He came and approached King Ahab of Israel and said to him, Have you seen the great multitude? He was referring to the Syrians. Uh, the Syrian king, Ben-Hadad at that time, had acquired the, uh, the alliance of numerous kings. Ahab didn't have a chance, humanly speaking. Not a chance, humanly speaking. This is what it says. Verse number 27 of chapter 20. Uh, it says this. And the sons of Israel camped before them like little flocks of goats. But the Arameans filled the country. So, humanly speaking, you would have said that, that Ahab made the right decision in just basically rolling over to this king. But listen to what it says in verse 13 again. This is the prophet's words. Behold, I will deliver them into your hands today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And he did just that. It wasn't until he had violated the trust of God by, by killing Naboth and taking his vineyard. That was the death knell on Ahab. That's what signed and sealed his grave. And so Naaman, the captain, had seen how that God had worked in this nation and that this nation was to be feared, not because of its great armies, but because of its great God. I'd rather have the great God than the great armies. And here's this little servant girl. Now, they had sent raids after they had said success, uh, getting rid of Ahab. Ahab's son then took over the throne, and he ran around like a scared chicken uh, against the Syrians because the Syrians had taken control at this particular point. And they had sent raid parties into Israel, and they had taken whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, whatever way they wanted. And along with that was this little slave girl. Now, she was taken. I want you to realize the scene here. She was brutally taken from her parents. And she was carried off into a foreign land. She had every reason to hate life. Every reason for bitterness. Every reason to, to lash out at God and say, why, God, have you allowed this? And yet she approached it with a very positive attitude. And it even says this, I wish that my master... Wow. What an attitude. What an attitude... Uh, of tremendous grace that she had. She wished that her master could see this man in Samaria, uh, Elisha, because this man in, in Samaria, Elisha, could deal with that leprosy. Now, the problem with that all is this, that this little girl never heard of one person being cured of leprosy in her lifetime. We know that from Luke chapter 4. The Lord Jesus Christ says that there were none healed of leprosy in the nation of Israel save Naaman the Syrian. And so here's a, here's a little girl with such faith that she said, you know, if I could get him into the company of this man of God, Elisha, that, 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 that God of Elisha would heal. 
What faith. What tremendous faith she had. Now, what, what would have caused Elisha's response? Because this is what it says. Um, uh, Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. Now, my question is this. There had to be reasons why Naaman took her word. She was a slave girl. She wasn't only a slave girl, but she was from an enemy territory. She's from Israel. And so there had to be reasons why Naaman would just, would just say, basically he just said to the king, listen, she said it, let's go. Let's do it. I think there were two factors that held into this. Number one, he ran out of options. Look down at verse, um, uh, verse number 10. It says, uh, your flesh will be restored. Now, th- th- this is a scene. I want you to realize the scene. As Naaman uh, trances into Israel, into Samaria, and he's looking for Elisha, he goes to the king because he'd been given a letter. He went in there with no fingers. He went in there quite possibly having his face mostly covered because his nose was gone. He went in there stinking really bad. Because that's what leprosy does. It makes your flesh rot. And while it's rotting, it stinks. It's like dead people. He was the walking dead. And so uh, here we have a man who, who was already being eaten up by leprosy. He had probably already gone to every physician in Syria, every soothsayer, every magician, everyone at the, at the beckoning call of the king... And they had no answers. It was 12 o'clock for Naaman. And time was running out. That's number one. Number two reason, I believe, is that he had tremendous admiration for this little girl and her opinion. What had given him Tremendous admiration. Here was a girl that was torn out of the hands of her parents and, and, and she was placed into the situation of which she could have just died of bitterness. And instead, she rises in positiveness. Why? Because she has trust in the Almighty God. Uh, you could have read that verse to her Whatever state I am, Paul said, therewith to be content. She was a picture of contentment. Under those circumstances, if a human being reacts in that kind of contentment, it then draws people to that person. They want to know what has given them such confidence. When a human being is put, sometimes in in, in very mild circumstances, and the reaction is, "Oh, oh, oh, look at it, oh, look at it. And you go to everybody, look at my circumstances, look where I am, look where I am. Does that draw people to that person? No, it repels them. It pushes them away. Now, if that confidence is rooted in that person, then it is short-lived. 
But if it is rooted in another being, in this case it was God, it drew the respect of this great captain, of this great army of Syria. And this young girl's words moved two nations. This little girl's words moved two nations. The mighty Syria and Israel, kind of back on their heels at this particular time. She was content. She was willing to accept the situation that God had placed her in. And she went forward. Not in her own strength. She went forward in the strength of the Lord. And that's why she knew that, that, that just in her mind that his situation left him beyond a, a, a human resolve. There was no human resolve on this one. But she knew a prophet. I knew a prophet back in Samaria. You get him back in Samaria. And that prophet, because of his communication and his relationship with the Almighty God of heaven, he'll heal her, heal him of his particular leprosy. And so I think those are the two, two re- reasons why Naaman uh, actually believed this young girl. Verse number 6. I've I, I got to move along really quick here. So the king, he brought a letter to the king of Israel saying, And now, as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? When you have leprosy in Israel, it was a death sentence. And so that was the perception of the king. Do I have power to deal with this? This man's a dead man as he's walking here. And, and, and so the king, uh, having no contact with the living God whatsoever, having no real communion with the living God, uh, moving out uh, by the strength of his own army, which was negligible at that particular time. There was no real army. Syria was basically pounding on them and doing whatever they pleased at that particular time. I know why he's doing he says. He's trying to pick a fight with me. Naaman's trying to pick a fight with me. What he ultimately wants is wants an excuse to come in and, and just clean house. No more raid here, raid here, raid here. He's just going to come in and he's gonna, that's going to be it. Why didn't he think of Elisha? The little girl did. The little girl knew about a prophet. All the king did was... Well, his reaction to circumstances beyond his control were one way. The girl's reaction to circumstances beyond her control was another way. Who do you draw to? Well, Naaman drew the little girl. And here we have a king, a mighty king. With all the resources at his, at his beckoning call, and yet he knew there was, there was no answer for this one. This man's the walking dead. His fingers are rotted off. And he didn't think of Elisha. There wasn't enough relationship even with the man of God to even understand the God of heaven. Israel had fallen into awful condition at this particular time. 
You know, that little girl, she could have looked at Naaman, that one who took her from her parents, that one who, who yanked her out of her secured position in life, yanked her out of the place that only she knew. She didn't know anything else. And she could have looked at him and she could have sat on the sidelines in a little chair and said, I'm just going to sit here and watch your nose rot off, Naaman. I hate you. What a response she had. It's because she loved her master. Because she loved her God. And her God had placed her with that master, with that master's wife. And ultimately, she found contentment under those circumstances. Now, verse number 8. And, and it happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king saying, Stop freaking out, king! No, that's not what it says in the Bible, but that's essentially what he said. You're, 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 you are just freaking out. Wow, that, that, that really promotes a real feeling of security amidst your people by you going into a rage like that. Now, obviously, he probably didn't tear his clothes in front of Naaman. He probably went into a private room, and there were plenty of his uh, uh, servants and all, and they saw him tear his clothes. And the word must have gotten back to Elisha, and Elisha said, just relax. Please, take it easy. Send him my way. And so he sends him his way. Verse number 10. Uh, no, verse number 9. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and and you and uh, will be clean. Uh, but Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord in his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. In other words, what Naaman was saying was, was uh, uh, I, I want to be healed. But I'd rather it be my way, not your way. I'd rather it be on on my terms, you see. It's a lot more comfortable that way, on my terms. You know, there are are individuals like Naaman that, that are, like I say, they're type A personalities. They're the kind of guy that has always taken a problem and due to his own resources, a solution. And another problem, throw it at me. On his own resources, solution, problem. And that's the way he worked, you see. And now he had problem, no solution. No solution. He was watching while his fingers rotted off, while his toes rotted off, and he lost his balance. And he had to be helped carried along because the toes is what keeps you. So here we got his nose rotting off his face. He had no solution. Basically, what he was saying was, I want solution, but I want it my way. Wow. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, I've used that verse talking to people. 
You know what? You know what they say? You know what they say? They say just like Naaman said. They say, "Well, that just sounds too easy." What they're basically saying is, is, is if you allow me a part in this, if you give me part of this particular work, uh, I'll feel much better about that. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, no, you'll have no part at all. It's free. It's free. It's free. Your salvation is when you come like a dead leper. When you come so close to death that Naaman could have fell down dead any given time uh, due to uh, uh, infection. He could have died right at the foot of the king. He could have died right at the foot of Elijah if he ever got there. He could have died. That's, what, that's how we come to the Lord Jesus Christ as dead men. What can dead men do? Well, I'd like a part in it. What part? Please impart to me such wisdom. How does one dead man have a part in anything? We're dead. Why did God all of a sudden break off from, from, from Elisha's experiences with the nation of Israel and all of a sudden he goes to this Gentile? Why did God do that? For this very reason. It is just unbelievable the amount of message that's being displayed here. Here we have the pride. Listen, Naaman had a terrible problem with leprosy. Awful. But he had a worse problem with pride. And once he could swallow that pride, then God would deal with the leprosy. The biggest problem that keeps people out of heaven is not their immoral lifestyles and all that they're doing. It's their pride. It's their pride. That's why that person came to me. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that sounds so simple. Well, bless your heart, O pious one. That's what God has demanded of us. That we simply bow the knee like a dead man and say, I need, I need your hand. Lord, Lord, reach out. Take that. That's it. That's all salvation is. And, and, and that's why he had a big problem with that in the beginning. So he, uh, uh, and it says in verse 13, then his servants came near <clears throat> after he ran off in a rage. He's furious, ran off in a rage. His servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean. You know, you need, to, you need to mark that in your Bible. Wash and be clean. That's, that's what Naaman wanted. <clears throat> it says, I, I thought you were going to come and you were going to wave your hand around. That, it would have made me feel better. It would have really made me feel better. But, but what you're asking me to do is you're, you're asking me to go to a filthy, disgusting river, the River Jordan. And I haven't been there, but I, the people that have been there, they, they get to the River Jordan and they say, oh, my goodness. You expect this big swell of water, this tremendous heaps of water, and you've got that little bitty stream. It's a little muddy stream is what it is. You, you want, listen, I, I've got rivers up in Syria that are just absolutely, they're, they're historical, they're so beautiful. Farpar and, 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 and other rivers, I, I could go there. The Lord said, no, no, I, I, I want you here in the Jordan. 
And he finally humbles himself. And when he humbles himself, then his leprosy is dealt with. So verse number 14, So he went down and <clears throat> dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. So, so here we have this, this, oh, it must have been a pretty strange sight. I, I'm not kidding you. Because here we have this brutally captain of a Syrian army. He, he probably wasn't 20 years old. He was probably 30, 40 years old. His skin was probably like leather. He's just a tough kind of guy, just a really man's man kind of a guy. Here he is. And, and by the time God got done with him, he was a child. By the time God gets done with us, it's like we're, right, it's like we're born again. What is God trying to say by this story? Man, if you can't see it, you've got to get those scales off because it's just as obvious as can be here. It says his, his flesh was like that of a little child, just like if he was born again. And that's exactly the view. That's exactly what God is trying to accomplish. That we might recognize that, number one, we're lepers. We're lepers. If we know not the Lord Jesus Christ, our personal Savior, if, we, if we've been stubborn and rebellious to the gospel, then we're standing like a dead man. We're a dead man walking. And, 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 and we're dying, we're smelling, and, and our, our whole being is just rotting down to the point where soon the effect... The, Infection is going to get into our bloodstream and bam, we're going to fall over dead. Uh oh, I scared Vicky again. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. She said it might happen. But the whole picture is very obvious, isn't it? He was born again. And when he went out to his soldiers and, and, and they looked at him and he said, Man, alive, you look at his hands. Look at my hands. Look at that. That's an old man's hands. My grandkids always tell me that. They say, Grandpa, why do you have all those spots all over your face? <laughs> Because I'm old, that's why. But they were all gone for him. He walked out and his face looked like, you know, a five-year-old. Like born again. What a picture that must have been. Now, now listen to his reaction. His reaction was this. <clears throat> when he returned, verse 15, when he returned to the man of God with his company and came and stood before him. He said, Behold, now I know, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So please take a present from... Now, listen to the way he refers to himself now. This, this whole thing has changed now. He says, Take a present from your servant. Wow. Relationship switch just like that. Boom. And, and, and he, he, he's born again. Is he saved? Oh, you bet. Are, are we going to see this man in heaven? Man, I know we're going to see this man in heaven. I've got a few questions for him, too. And, and, but he was definitely born again. And then we have Gehazi. Now, I want you to recognize a contrast here. I want you to see what God has set up for us here. God has set up for us a, a real just unbelievable contrast between a servant girl and Gehazi. Elisha walked with Elijah. So Elisha walks with Elijah and, and he takes hold. Remember what Elijah said, uh, I need to go. Why did he need to go? Because everyone knew that he was going. He was out of here. And Elisha said, no, I'm not going to let you out of my sight. 
And he was therefore permitted to go with Elijah. So there was a relationship between Elisha and Elijah that was inseparable. Because Elisha took hold of the grace of God. Elisha took hold of the God of Israel. Elisha took hold of the God of Elijah. He saw it for, and it was real. Now, I want you to notice something else here. This man named Kazai. You say, well, we, we, we sort of give him, well, he was just a servant or something. No, he really wasn't. He was really walking in the same shoes that Elisha did with Elijah. He had every opportunity to uh, uh, not only be a part of this. Uh, there was a Bible school in Gilgal. There, there was a Bible school. In fact, it's one of the first recorded Bible schools. And Elisha was teaching in that particular Bible school. So here was this man, Gehazi, and he has all the opportunity. He has all the advantage of hearing godly teaching and seeing unbelievable manifestations of power. Unbelievable manifestations of power. Here was a man, Elisha, that later on it says that that he had ears by God. He had ears to hear what's going on in someone's room. Their bedroom. He, he made the dead alive again. Who, who was there? Gehazi was there. He saw all this. Here's his response. Because Elisha said to Naaman, No, 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 you see, you're, you're going to mess up the picture here. D- don't mess up the picture. Now, I, I want you to notice that this, this amount of stuff that Naaman brought for Elisha. It was the equivalent of about $4 million. You say, well, he just brought him a couple of gifts. You know, he went down to Kmart or whatever and picked him up. It was If you take the actual uh, poundage of silver and poundage of gold, uh, it, would equivalent, it would be the equivalent of $4 million. You got 750 pounds of silver and 200 pounds of gold. Now, you do that mathematics, and you're going to come up with about $4 million, and we're not even talking about the Raymonds. So here was Gehazi. He was saying, listen, oh man, I, I've lived in poverty with this guy. I, th- this guy could be rich. This guy has performed great miracles. He could have been rich back then. We could have been living in a fallatial palace. And here, I, here we are, you know, uh, we go here, we go there, we go here. We have no place to really call our own. It's time for me to take hold of the circumstance. And so what does he do? He calls back Naaman. And with this weak excuse that there's a couple of, of prophets uh, the, 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 that are coming down and they want to attend the, the, the Bible school and, and uh, they don't have what they need. Maybe they've got to pay for tuition or whatever. You can help these couple of prophets out uh, uh, bring some of that stuff back again. He asked not for all the gold, but he asked just for a talent of silver, which is a grand amount. And then uh, after asking for uh, that, he goes ahead and, and gives it to him. And Gehazi is probably thinking to himself, man, I just, I just pulled it off. This is great. This is really wonderful. I, I, no one saw me. It, it was done in, in, in a secret place. And, and, and he had all kinds of dreams of how he was going to retire from this thing. But then it says this. Um, in verse, and I got to hurry through this. Um, verse 25, but he went in and stood before his master. 
And Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? I'm sure that Gehazi probably swallowed real deep at that particular point. And he said, Your servant went nowhere. Well, the servant is a liar, right? Then he said to him, Did not your heart go with you? Did not my heart go with you? Excuse me. When the man turned from his chariot to meet you, it is time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants. What Elijah was doing here is mind-boggling. He didn't only tell him that because of your greed and your covetousness, uh, you went back to Naaman and you pulled some of this wealth. But he also gave him his retirement plans. You notice that? So, so when he says um, that you were going to use the money uh, uh, to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards, that's what went through his mind. So here's uh, Gehazi thinking, man, I'm going to retire and I'm going to be dressed like, like there is no tomorrow. And I'm going to have the best of olive groves and I'm going to have the best of... And he goes right down the list. And what was Elisha doing? He was revealing to Gehazi his retirement plan. Wow. Watch out for those retirement plans, you know. Ooh. May not happen. All our well-laid plans, ultimately, they're in control of God the Father. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper, as white as snow. God had visited Upon him, what he had visited Naaman with. He took it from Naaman and placed it on Gehazi. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ said these words. The Lord Jesus Christ said these words. I want you to hear these words. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Now, Gehazi, I'm sure at this particular point, he would have said, no, 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 no. No, I, I, I had intentions of, of hanging with you, Elisha. I had, I had a, a foolishness. Who said that? The Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot serve God and money. It's an impossibility. The one master is always going to draw your heart away. And, and it doesn't say that you cannot, you, you cannot have two relations with two different friends. It says master. 
that which masters you, that which controls you and demands of you and moves you, if that is money, then God is sidelined until that problem is taken care of or solved. Very good. There were two others who walked with godly men. Remember Demas walked with Paul. Having forsaken Having forsaken me, oh, Paul was saying, having forsaken me, having loved this present world. So he gave up on that. He was so in love with me. He had love for the world, all that the world had to offer. And there was Paul, and Paul was walking contrary to what he saw over here. And he finally came to the point where he said, I've had it, I'm going this way. And then there's Judas, who walked with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You say, how can that be possible? Yes. And what was it? It was 30 pieces of silver. I mean, at least Gehazi was going for the big kill here. 30 lousy pieces of silver, and the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed and cast off, you see. Oh, there's such rich lessons in this portion. We have to be careful of ourselves, don't we? That, that we ourselves don't get to the point where we become the covet, covet, covet. We, we begin to, everything, everything in our life is, is, is centered around the, the, the acquiring of time stuff, time stuff, time stuff, time stuff, time stuff. No eternity stuff. God says you have the opportunity to go after eternity stuff, not time stuff. And, and, and we're too busy with time stuff. What lessons we have. Lessons of great faithfulness from a servant girl. And then a disastrous final few days from this man, Gehazi. Oh, that we not walk in our own affections, but that we take on the affections of God the Father and we begin to walk in His affections, what He likes, what He wants. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things shall be added unto you. Our Father, we give you thanks for the word of God, whether we, whether we are in the book of any of the epistles, or whether we're in Genesis, or whether we're in First and Second Kings. They're an outpouring of your heart. They reveal to us the way you think, what you want from us. And Father, we just pray that, that we'd walk in them. It is difficult. I struggle continually. Walking by faith and, and not by my own sight. Father, just that we would. We'd recognize that what you're saying is real. And disobedience bears great consequences and great condemnation. So, Father, help us to walk aright, more by faith and less by sight. 
It's in the Lord Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen.